0: Welcome to I'm Absolutely Fine, the podcast from the middle that looks at all the glamour and indignity of being a grown-up.
1: If you listen on the Entale app, that's E-N-T-A-L-E, photos, links and videos of what we're talking about will pop up as you listen. Have a look.
0: Hi, everyone. Emily, how are you? I'm absolutely fine, but my face ID didn't recognise me this morning. (laughs) You know, I went to go into an app and it said face not recognised and I thought that's the ultimate fucking insult I'm being trolled by by my phone but also it's like an externalised identity crisis yes it's it's like who is this person I don't know my phone doesn't know I mean also it would it would leave me feeling that I'd somehow aged horribly and (laughs) since I'd set my phone up which was in March when and we were all so much younger then right and yeah younger and more innocent (laughs)
1: oh I'm sorry anyway Annabelle how are you uh, I'm uh, I'm a physical wreck. I'm glad you asked. I bet you're glad you asked. But I think I've worked out why, apart from the slip disc and, and the, sort of the, the general ennui that we all find ourselves in at the moment. So for the last couple of days, I've been like, you know, preternaturally exhausted, like beyond my usual realms of irritable, you know, sort of slightly lazy tiredness. And I was rootling around in the fridge. I was in the fridge where I spent quite a lot the last four months. And someone who wasn't me did the shopping two days ago, which is genuinely never happened before and right? I, the coffee that this kind slash evil person had bought me caught my eye and it's decaf <laughs> so for the last two days i have been put against my conscious will into caffeine withdrawal obviously i'm practically i'm practically bouncing off the walls oh, God, i'm walking into door frames i mean it, it's an absolute disaster they took away your crutch i feel like this is this is not a good thing well except that, of course i've now I've, I've now thought that maybe i'll see it through
0: Really? You're going to give up coffee? Might as well. Okay, she's making this face. You can't see, but she's making a face like, challenge me at your peril, Emily, so I'm not going to. Bravo. Well done, you. Yeah, Yeah, because I'm not a person who drinks five cups of coffee a day
1: before I've even had a glass of water. (laughs) (laughs) You're going to be absolutely fine. And and just to make me more of a jittery wreck, today's guest has had the misfortune to see me naked. (laughs) It's all okay though, because he's basically sunshine in man form. Jules von Hepp is the expert behind self-tan brand Isle of Paradise. Jules has worked in the tanning industry for over 10 years, bronzing up Hollywood's finest, getting models golden backstage at Fashion Week, always on and off TV sets, including The X Factor. You name it, he's seen them naked and at their most vulnerable. So it's no surprise that he's obsessed with body positivity, inclusivity and making people feel really good about themselves. Welcome to the podcast, Jules. How
2: are you? Oh my gosh, what an introduction. I mean, I feel like I need the dry ice after you've just introduced me like that. That's perfect. Um, I'm absolutely fine. But today, and actually for the past few weeks, I've been dealing with a really treacherous leaky iron. And this is something that I'm in no mood for, especially during lockdown, especially as it's hot and it's a lot of linen. This leaky iron and I are falling out a lot and I've been trying to get to the bottom of why said iron is leaking and we have two arguments. One is that the lady at John Lewis who told me it was made in the same factory as Tefl is completely full of shit and also <laughs> the second case is that my fiance, who I swear has hands that are sponsored by Lurpak completely dropped the iron and now we are just in leaky iron syndrome. But I'm at this stage of refusing to purchase or mend new iron. So I'm I'm like, if I just tilt it 38 degrees, are you going to leak that? Yes, OK, you leak everywhere. 42 degrees, (laughs) leaks everywhere. So I'm just, that's where I am today, leaky iron syndrome.
1: I had a leaky iron, not (laughs) to euphemism. (laughs) At the beginning of lockdown. And the confusing and, and distressing thing about leaky irons, and it usually happens sort of when you're right at the end of a sort of king-size duvet cover. Not at the beginning, but you're know, right at the end, sweating, you know. And um, <laughs> is that leaky irons don't leak clean water. No, leaky irons leak brown water, bran water. So it just fucks everything in the arse, doesn't it?
2: Yeah, not in a good way.
1: <laughs> not, not in a fun way. <laughs>
0: jewels i like the word leaky she says it's a great word for something that's actually properly shit
2: unless it's a vegetable then it's quite positive
0: okay yeah no we like our leaks that's true (laughs) where's this going i don't know i don't know i was just thinking leaky i mean obviously i can't discuss irons because i don't have an iron because i just my life is ironless she doesn't own an iron that does not that's mean it is so amazing it <laughs> doesn't mean that it's crumble free It just
2: that's so cool
0: <laughs> i know if you were 25 you'd say that's iconic
2: <laughs> i would say that now i'm 33 it's a term of phrase i openly use icon <laughs>
1: um so 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 jules you've seen an improbable amount of women and men naked and, and do people, do you, do you notice how people, you, you know, you presumably you walk into a dressing room or you walk into someone's house, you're about to tan them and make them more fabulous and gorgeous and we all get excited about a tan. Fuck, it's like, you know, there's nothing bad about a tan. But do you notice how people's whole attitude and, and sort of um, and body language changes once they've got no clothes on?
2: Oh, massively. And it's something that is actually, as a spray tanner, built into part of my DNA of the job of dealing with body hatred. And I noticed pretty early on within my career that I was working with Victoria's Secret models, but also people who weren't in the industry of celebrity and models and runway. And the same thing would happen every time somebody took their clothes off. There was an apology about the way that the person looked, thinking that I was judging their body. And at the time, I was really suffering with my own body image and my own body dysmorphia, and I realised that actually I wasn't alone and that actually we are all completely programmed and it's almost like second nature that we apologise for how we look. And I thought, well, this is just really fucked up. I I used to apologise about... Anything, from going to the hairdressers, I'd be like, I'm so sorry, I'm sweaty. I'm so sorry, my scalp might be like this. Or if I was having a wax, I would apologise. And actually, when I became a spray tanner, because it was really a job that found me, it wasn't something that I was like, I am destined to be a global celebrity spray tanner. I just fell into the role. That and it made me re- is a
1: Will Ferrell
2: movie. <laughs> <laughs> Will Ferrell, you say, is thinking a bit more highbrow Annabelle, but fair <laughs> um but it made me realize that the apology we all do it and actually I wasn't looking I I would never look at somebody's body mainly because it's incredibly unprofessional but also I just didn't care and actually I noticed that what I would remember a client by if they were funny if they were warm if maybe they were sad if they were hurt. I would never really remember any part of their body and that's when I realised that no one was really remembering mine. It's just all our own stuff. But also I would see 15 to 20 bodies a day and so i didn't have time to focus i had the job to do so when you're going to to get a wax or the fanny barbers as we call it up north <laughs> those women <laughs> and those men doing the waxing they are seeing so many different types of bodies they've got a schedule and nobody's looking they're just going in there getting it done and on to the next
1: jules how did your body dysmorphia and self-hatred manifest
2: so um from a really really young age i I remember my first run in with um, diet culture was with my own grandma and she, I think I was seven, and she said, for every pound that you lose, I will pay you a pound. And she used to get me on the scales and she used to pay me to lose weight. And I don't blame my grandma for doing this. She was wartime up north. She was programmed, her body defined her existence. Um, and then from that, I was quite chubby as a teenager. Um, and so things were said about my parents on the school bus. And then when I went to university, I developed anorexia because I, I remember thinking that I needed to be thin to fit in with certain types of friends. This was never the case from their side, but in my head, it was the case. Um, and I remember my first internship was in fashion in London, and I just was barely eating and developed anorexia and just complete self-hatred about how I looked. And it was only until recently, almost a couple of weeks ago, I was chatting to a friend and she said, you know, I really like following you on Instagram because you talk really openly about this journey that you've been on. I've just never really hated my body that much. And it, I was like, I can't, I can't believe you have never thought this because in my brain, the way that I have gone through life has constantly been this battle with my reflection. And I really genuinely believe that being a spray tanner saved me in so many ways on my body hatred journey because it, made, it just opened my eyes that everybody is battling or the majority of people are battling with this conversation in the mirror, this um, conversation in your head, even when you walk past car doors, shop windows. I see so many people do it. They look in and then they readjust their clothes mm. because they think that they need to look a certain way this is all a battle in your own world. This isn't reality. This is what everyone else is seeing. It's all this internalised argument. And actually, yeah, I think spray tanning really showed me that that's what it was.
1: So how did spray tanning find you?
2: I really struggled to find a career that I liked. I tried all sorts. I was interning at magazines. I was a makeup artist for a bit. And then I actually met um, Nicola Joss, who's a celebrity facialist, and she we met on a shoot, and she said, "I actually think you've got what it takes to become a spray tanner within the industry," and, she, and I was like, "Fucking spray tanner, you kidding me?" Like, <laughs> I went, "I've been to university, I've worked, you know, I've, I can write. I've got all the, and I, I, I set this bar for myself, and actually." I thought, Do you know what? I really am not finding a job that I like. I'm not finding a career that I enjoy. I'm gonna, I'm gonna give this a go, and nothing prepares you for the first time that you give a spray tan. You literally are greeted by a naked body in the room, and you just. I remember looking at all four corners of the room and trying not to make eye contact and these nipples and this vagina just staring at me. And I was like, oh my gosh, I need to be really professional. I think I dropped moisturiser. It was just this bumbling mess. But then from that, you got, I got really used to nudity in a different way. The only time I'd ever really been around nudity was life drawing. And I'd, that was one type of human form. And I was very shy about my body, especially in terms of sexual partners and things like that. And actually with spray tanning, it just became this really nice connection with human beings. And I really, I fell in love with the the fact that I got to witness human vulnerability in a really beautiful way. Um, but also I was giving this confidence to people. And so I started to work on the treatments that I was, the way that I do it. So it's not just me walking in, plugging in the booth, not talking to you. There's a whole thing that I do in the conversation and listening to what people say to you while they're in the tanning booth with you that I think is how I've got to where I've got to.
1: Well I have to I can testify that having a spray tan with you is an incredibly relaxing sort of joyful therapeutic experience. Thank you. It it didn't cross my mind for a second that you were looking at a roll or a lump or a bulge because you know it just genuinely wasn't about that at all. And apart, and Emily still maintains that I've never looked better than I did 24 hours later.
0: That is absolutely is... true. I've never had a spray tan. Um, but I came, I found you through your podcast and through your Instagram because, you know, and my sort of knowledge of you is exactly this sort of positivity, which obviously you translate into the booth. But, um, but yeah, this sunshine, that's the, that's the vibe. Yeah, I mean, listeners
1: do follow Jules on Instagram because it really is incredibly feel-good and sort of life-affirming. So, Jules, how did you stop looking in the mirror and seeing something that you found disturbing or upsetting?
2: Well, I started to reflect on, actually, optimism and pessimism. And we have two choices. I realise that we've got very much two choices, You can either have the negative side or the positive side. It is physics. Every negative has a positive. And I realised that I've got two choices. I can focus on the bits of the body that I hate, or I can focus on the bits of the body that I like. And with clients, when everybody would apologise, if they say, oh, sorry for my saggy boobs, sorry for my thighs, sorry for insert body part, I wasn't seeing that. And so I'd say, well, what about the bits that you like? I think you've got amazing eyes. You've got banging cheekbones. Like, why are we not not focusing on that bit? And I realised that I needed to take on board the advice that I was giving other people. Mm. And so now, and I really really believe that once you've had an eating disorder, it's quite hard to shake that. And it's like a cold cloud that can come around you of body hatred. And there are still days now where I will stand in front of the mirror and in the cloud comes and I can feel it coming. And I have to go through the step-by-step process of do not focus on the bit that you hate. Focus on the bit that you like and just keep focusing on that. Don't wear clothes that make you feel uncomfortable. Don't wear clothes. If you're having a body wobble day, because we wobble, we all have wobbles, mental wobbles, physical wobbles. If I'm having a body wobble day, it is all about comfy clothes. I close my eyes and I think, what does my body want to wear today? Not what do I want to wear? What am I going to put on? And each day has to be taken as it comes. And also I accept the body that I have. Comparison is something that I didn't even realise was a thing until I met the comparison coach Lucy Sheridan and we interviewed her for, for our podcast Wobble and when she was speaking I remember thinking I was going to cry because I didn't realise that I was consistently comparing my body to other people's and especially in um, a same-sex couple relationship and in the gay world it's very easy to compare your body to somebody else through um, intimate moments but also if you're going out to a gay bar and there's lots of gay men around all I was doing was looking at other men and looking at their bodies. And in my head, it was just this voice screaming, why do you not look like that? Why do you look like this? And I would get home and I'd grab my body and stand in front of the mirror and say really mean things to myself. And then I actually thought, you know what? You just need to accept where you are. You need to accept that this is your body, that you are a combination of your parents' DNA. And if you want a body like that, they're probably in the gym In the gym. In the four gym. hours a day yeah they're probably, with the <laughs> yes. gym. they're probably in the gym working out four hours a day well do you have time to do that no you don't you only have the time that you've got and you've only got the time that you've got to exercise so I'm just not as hard on myself anymore and I do think there's a combination of that coming with age and also um it coming with me changing the messaging that I'm allowing to come in and out of my life
1: I tell you what makes me sad sometimes and you will have seen some of these mostly girls i would imagine through the work you've done on tv is when you get very young women 18 19 20 who've already started to chop themselves up and they've added on a pair of tits and maybe sliced off something, sliced off a nose they've got the lips are here the ass has been implanted and i just think gosh they've had no time at all to give themselves a chance to accept what was what was happening and then and then you can see that they get into that sort of um strange destructive cycle where sometimes if you do something to your face or body it's i I always think it's a bit like decorating one room in a house. Suddenly everything else looks like it needs redecorating. And so you see this thing begin to spiral. You must have witnessed some of that.
2: Oh a hundred percent. A hundred percent when I have been with clients who one week I will go and they have just had um more fillers put in the next week oh I've got one client who had um half of her ass in Dubai in she'd had it frozen and changed in Dubai and taken out of her ass and put into her face and her fat was in Dubai and it was just this whole cycle and I'm a very much a great believer in because I do see the positive sides of um surgery and one of my really good friends had her nose she had no surgery she hasn't had anything else and she's so much happier because of it she doesn't moan ever, about her appearance anymore. So I think there's really two sides of it. But I do agree with what you're saying. Once you start, you have to... It, it can become Listen, very addictive. I am,
1: I am all for it. But I think it has to be managed and contextualised. Mm. Um, because otherwise you can see it start to turn into something which looks very much like self-harm.
2: Well, I think there should be... Um, I feel like there should be a gap between when you can have treatments done. So example I have tattoos on my body but I always will wait a minimum of a year before I get another tattoo because then I'm like I just have time like and I'm not covering myself and I think that with certain treatments especially on younger girls there should be um a time window and that you can get used to it because at 21 I think if I had all the money in the world i would have completely changed my body i would have changed everything everything i could have possibly done i would have done it but i didn't have the money and it it made me i had to i had to accept how i looked which now i'm incredibly grateful for
1: but um but the idea of waiting is a very good idea because i think whether it's a tattoo or filler or surgery there is definitely a post-procedure high you are pumped when you've had a tattoo aren't you
2: and yeah, if you could course. go
1: back and recreate that feeling you know two weeks later why the
2: fuck not? But also your environment can change within a year. And so what insecurities are at one point in your year due to surrounding factors in our environment is a huge, huge part of how we see our bodies. Are we stressed? Are we traveling a lot? Are we stuck in hotels? Are we not eating what we usually eat? Are we not being able to exercise because of what we eat? Are we going through mourning? Are we like incredibly sad? Are we comfort eating? All of these things are going to affect how we look.
0: I think you're completely right as well because whenever I've lost weight, significantly it's all ways to be about anxiety and my food control happens when I can't control the rest of my environment. So it's not so much about a kind of self-loathing but more a kind of desperate need to kind of stay in one feeling. Does that make sense? So mm. if I'm if I'm hungry... Or if I'm super stressed, then I won't eat so that I, I feel like somehow I'm in control of one aspect of, of what's going on. So it, for me, when I start losing weight, you know, alarm is going off. When I feel evenly emotional, then I'll eat normally and I won't even think about it. Do you know? What I, so it's, it's like the first thing to go, as it were. So, and I'm sure that's I, true I, of lots of people.
2: Oh yes and I think everyone has their triggers of and I mean this is going down the track of intuitive eating and emotional eating and what that says and I think that is a completely different aspect of body confidence and um, self-love and I think that if you are yo-yoing and you are feeling that your body is changing a lot because of your environmental surroundings then intuitive eating might be something worth considering
0: yeah I I mean
1: fake tan is a gorgeous thing because it is incredibly addictive but it's not going to do you any harm (laughs) (laughs) you just can keep slapping it on I mean why does it make us feel so fantastic
2: I think that there is let's not forget why we have spray tans and why we use fake tan and this isn't just about white skin tones achieving that golden finish this is about all skin tones fake tan gives you the skin that looks like you've been on vacation. So it hides any perceived imperfections you may have. For darker skin tones, it's going to remove that grey ash under complex. For lighter skin tones, including porcelain skin, it's just going to give it a very slight, subtle glow. And then for everything in between olive skin tones, then it goes that golden rich brown that is associated with tan. But when we've been on vacation and when we've been on holiday, we look well rested. We look like we've slept every single night. But in order to do that, you have to put some money down, take time off work, go on holiday and hope that your other half doesn't fuck you off every single day. And so, you, so you wake up looking extremely well rested. Um, but that's the joy of tan is that you get that finish in a matter of hours.
1: I would argue that after a time with you, I'd certainly get a post-procedure high. Um, but, but also the the also I I should say um you know I, I know a bit about beauty because of my column and and Jules Isle of Paradise range is really fantastic. I think my favourite um product are the drops because they're so idiot-proof. So he does these. What are they called?
2: So they're Isle of Paradise self-tanning drops.
1: Isle of Paradise self tanning drops and you just I use the darker colour because even though I've sort of got green eyes and I don't look like I've got very dark skin for some reason I always have to use the darkest colour of fake tan my skin metabolizes fake tan odd way so you get your dollop of moisturizer you drop in a couple of drops only a couple which means also that this little bottle which is something like 18 quid isn't it Mm. lasts forever so it's like it's sort of you know sort of low investment high yield and on it goes and then you go to bed and you wake up in the morning and everything's okay it's really low maintenance and it's a brilliant product and i know you've got something new out called the high glow right
2: Yes. So High Glow is our hyaluronic self-tanning serum. So you don't even have to mix that. You just pop it in place of your normal serum. And we have one for body as well. And it just builds a really nice natural looking, but also really hydrated tan at the same time. For me, Isle of Paradise has always been um, a place to get a fuss-free tan. Really easy to achieve and really great results that don't cost the earth. I think that the tanning industry became very focused on high-end luxury and I've worked for high-end luxury tanning brands and I just never really understood that because if you're spending money on your tan then you're doing it in order to look great when you leave the house which is when you're going to spend the most money on rosé so actually (laughs) spend more money on rosé and less money on tan and get a great finish.
1: The depressing thing about expensive fake tan treatments, and I remember those from when I was sort of in my 20s, and back then they were sort of 50 quid or something, is it's, 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 from, the moment, from the moment it develops, it begins to fade. So you're spending, you, you would do it for you know, a party, and it was a depressing way to spend your money. Um, is, it, is, is tanning slightly different for telly?
2: Yes, completely different, because in television, it totally depends on what the person you are tanning is doing. So when I was doing Strictly, it was all about, okay, Strictly has really strong studio lights that using the wrong tan, you go under and they could look radioactive. And so you'd have to really change it and almost dull the tan down. But obviously everybody's skin tone is different. And on something like Strictly, you're seeing the same body every single week, um, but different factors change. So I noticed that with certain clients, The week that they were due on their period wouldn't take tan at all. The week after, they'd really take tan. Now I was like, oh, wow, okay, hormones massively affect your tan. Um, And so I had to really work with each individual's skin to create that consistent tan every single week. And also, you've then got to fade. Can I stop you
1: and just say... Of course. We'll go straight... We'll go back to fade, I promise. But can I say, okay, so as a viciously hormonal creature who everything goes mad the week before my period. How might I handle my fake tan differently?
2: So the week before, if your skin is going bad, if the week before you're due on, go darker shade. Take a darker shade and insist that your spray tanner uses a priming spray, a prep it spray that's going to help with the tan absorption.
1: Or if I'm doing it myself, use more.
2: Yeah, use more. Or if you're going to use, like you could use an express formula. And if you were washing the tan off, to, off usually after one hour, on that week that you're changing maybe leave it on for two to three hours just your skin is this amazing organ that you can read so much so don't just think that it's the same all the time it is the receptor that tells you what's going on in the inside
1: yes sorry now let's go back to fade
2: so fade every single week on strictly you know I had to work with making sure that the tans would fade nice and evenly and that's something that I really was so passionate about with Isle of Paradise is that yeah Tan can look great on day one and day two, but the really, really good tan will look good on day five and day six, and it will be coming off nice and evenly.
1: Because the old-fashioned fake tans, you'd end up with sort of leprosy or some sort of, you'd look like you had a skin condition. You'd look
2: like tiger bread. Yeah. (laughs) Tiger bread. But it's, so the reason for that is it's a very dehydrated tan, and it doesn't have ingredients in it such as coconut oils, aloe vera, hydrating oils that are going to keep that tan soft during its whole cycle. It's just got loads of one ingredient and nothing of the other. And that's why, yes, you can get cheaper tans for £8, £6, perfect, but they won't look as good at the end of the week when really you're ready to go again. And so that's when tanning gets difficult because you've got to take the first layer off and then put the second on. So really... It's like anything I say, if an expert has created a product nine times out of 10, it's going to be a lot better than the others.
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, with t- but also tanning for TV, you must have come across people in deranged, high stress situations. I mean, we t- take X Factor, for example. We had a stylist on from X Factor who said that these very young contestants were basically gaslit to within an inch of their sanity and getting dressed in, in the back of a truck in a freezing cold car park. I mean, was it? were you seeing people being pushed very hard and was that quite distressing?
2: Well, X Factor was the first real job in television that I'd ever had. And I'd only actually been tanning for three months and I got offered the job and I had a full-time desk job in the week in marketing and I was doing tanning at the <laughs> weekend and I, and I had to like take every Friday afternoon off and I had to tell my boss, look, I'm doing X Factor. And then I'd go in on Monday and be like, Oh my god! I've just been with Lady Gaga at the weekend, backstage at X Factor, and here I am, giving no fucks about this marketing <laughs> report. But um, it, you do you do see um, very high stress. You see some situations. I was very young back then, so I don't think I would have. I think there were certain things that I wouldn't tolerate now, and you know, I just think, oh, okay, okay, a show like this is normal, and that truck outside in the freezing cold. I've been in that truck. I've done tans in that truck. I know exactly what truck she's talking about. The same goes for Fashion Week. Very young models being pushed, flying around the world. And I think there's that side of the industry that I, I don't really work in anymore because I, I found it quite difficult. But then there's also, going back to TV, a lovely side of it that is working with... Um, I worked on The Crown. I worked with Matt Smith. And that was a role to create that skin tone that wasn't his naturally and working with tan in a very different way and was work- that
1: when was that when prince philip went off on on on, on the yacht britannia yes.
2: to the to the yes.
1: bahamas or something yes. leaving the sort
0: of yes, yes leaving the queen oh so my so god all- the hotness was off the scale at that point well, courtesy of jules <laughs> von hep
2: yes so that he was
1: spraying on the hotness
2: i'm working with i've worked with matt for a long time um but that actually was a very different type of working with tan and working for continuity and making sure that actually I wasn't I didn't have a week in between filming I had a couple of days so I had to work with tan in a different way um and I loved that side of it I've I've seen so many different sides of backstage worlds and I think for me period dramas and red carpet always my favorite
1: what do you love about red carpet
2: I love that it's classic beauty. I love that it's never, unless it's Met Gala, red carpet is pure, high glamour, um, very natural, very like full face of makeup. Lots. Of, there's always a lip, but it's not, it doesn't look like makeup. And it's all like this hidden world. And it was always, I liked it because I, I'm known in the industries as somebody whose tans just look natural. They don't, they don't look like you've had a spray tan and so if you've got to hold a microphone if you've got to carry this clutch you're not going to get that fake tan look i'm all about hold, you're a, man like with, you. Yes,
1: hold a microphone with your sort of you know tobacco stained <laughs> knuckles you know, when fake tan goes wrong and your elbows go where well, your ankles go terrible yeah. and it's all a disaster are there any if you could give um people at home doing their own um fake tan sort of three top tips about how not to fuck it up what would they be
2: um so practice makes perfect and don't believe that your skill set is based on doing one at home tan five years ago and you messed it up so badly that you can never go back again you know the first time you blow dried your hair the first time you did a smoky smoky eye you probably fucked it up quite a lot and actually the same with tan just read your body and learn from your mistakes so if you've got it stuck in between your fingers next time wash in between your fingers immediately after use if you missed a point on your ankles Make sure you make, do that point. Um, if in doubt, buff it out. So <laughs> if you have put on a tanning water, if you put on a clear mousse, if you put on the drops and you're thinking, oh, what, what if I streak? Just get a sports sock, turn it inside out and rub it all over your body and it will buff and blend anything and it will stop that streaking from happening. Um, a great place to start practising on your body is the legs it's really good because if you make a mistake, you can put on a pair of trousers, a pair of socks, and you can cover any mishap, but you'll get used to how the tan responds on your skin. And I always say when I tan somebody for the first time, you know, this might not be the best tan that I'm going to give you because I don't know your body and you don't know how tan is going to respond. But we have to work together in creating that perfect glow. So um, if a tan, if If it goes too dark, then next time, don't apply as much. If you want it to go darker, then next time, apply more. So really respond to your body. There's also so many videos out there now that you can literally flood yourself with in creating that perfect tan. When I started tanning, I think I was 15, and I was using all sorts, and I was proudly walking around Leeds just looking horrific. (laughs) So. So, you know, thank you, Lucky Stars, that you've got the internet now that can help you.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I'd like to see a photograph of that. I mean, looking at you now, Jules, Jules Jules grew a lockdown top knot that he is determined to hold on to. That suggests to me that while you were doing horrific things with your tan, I bet you were doing experimental things with your
2: hair walking around Leeds. Oh, I've had every hairstyle going and I was a big fan of the mullet when it came back. And I don't even think it did come back.
1: (laughs) You single handedly tried to bring it back, didn't
2: you? (laughs) That asymmetrical cut that classic Vidal Sassoon training academy, I had that hair and I wore it with pride.
1: (laughs) Um so what's the plan for Isle of Paradise?
2: Isle of Paradise is permanently on a mission to change the beauty industry for the better. So whether it's body confidence and encouraging other brands to not airbrush images, to promote real body diversity and- Because
1: early on in, in, your, in, the, in the Isle of Paradise journey, you were using models and bodies and-
2: sort of off. ambassadors and yeah, it-
1: Who were not necessarily what we had depressingly come to expect.
2: And that was the thing I got asked a few times, how does it feel to be somebody that's changing the beauty industry for the better? And I think, oh yeah, it's, it's great, but it's also really sad that it's taken me and my career to get a brand to this point, because until then, tanning brands were just the same body type, the same skin tone, the same beach slash swim pool backdrop. It was all the same and, I was like, well, none of my clients are wearing white swimsuits and lying on a fake pool. That's not happening. My clients are, you know, struggling themselves into a dress on a Saturday night after a few roses and they're going out. So I want it to represent those women and real women. And so A Paradise... Just was a true representation of the women that I saw in my tanning booth. Um, but also, we're on a real mission for sustainability. And today, we actually launched our first um, paradise less plastic, more paradise pouches. So they're refills for the tanning water. And it's 81% less plastic than a traditional tanning water. So you can buy your water. And the next time, instead of buying another water, you can buy a refill. And actually, you're using less plastic. Sorry, um, uh, what, what,
1: sorry, 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 sorry. What is a tanning water?
2: A tanning water, the best way to think it... Do you of it, drink it? No, you spray it onto the skin like a body mist no. And it's a No, disclaimer, water.
1: please do not drink the tanning water. Please do not drink the tanning water.
2: <laughs> um, but its uh, you spray it onto your skin like you would a body mist and you rub it in with your palms, wash your hands after use and within four hours your glow is on the go. You can also use it as a setting spray. I keep mine in the fridge and just spray my makeup afterwards mm. and then wash my makeup off and I've got tan on underneath.
1: Yeah. Brilliant. Um, I guess I was just thinking when the hot flushes start, that's what you want. is a bit of Isle of Paradise tanning water in the fridge, where I live, as we know, with my decaffeinated <laughs> coffee. <laughs> Jules von Hepp. Oh. I mean, how could we love you more? M could we love him more? I don't think so. You're tantastic.
0: Thank uh, you he's much.
2: He's never
1: heard that before. <laughs> <laughs> Jules, be will you come back and see us?
2: A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Hopefully we can record in person
1: Yes, please. Yes. Near a
2: bar, if anyone's interested.
1: In, in person, maybe naked, um, with wine, maybe maybe in your booth. Yeah,
2: I'd but, like to
0: pop my spray tan cherry, so, you know.
2: Well, let's come to some kind of arrangement then.
0: <laughs> oh, a yes. menage a tan. Yeah, you tan my back,
1: I'll tan yours. We have to put an end to this. We have to put an end to this. So I'm going to say thank you, we love you,
0: and goodbye. Bye. Thank you. You've been listening to Annabelle Rivkin and Emily McMeekin of The Midalt. Our book, I'm Absolutely Fine, is out now. If you like what you hear, please rate, review and subscribe.
1: And I'll leave you with this thought. Can you just... not...